and welcome to another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. I'm happy to be with you today. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Today, we're going to do a Q&A session. Each uh, week, we've had these wonderful podcasts, and I invariably get a few emails, uh, sometimes more uh, than just a few, with uh, questions. And uh, I want to spend a little bit of time today addressing some of those. If you do want to email me any questions, please feel free to do so. That's pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And I will be happy to email you a response or we can hop on the phone and have a chat. And we'll include your question in our next Q&A session, which um, we do periodically on the, uh, on the show here. So with that, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Uh, these are in no particular order and on a whole range of topics. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll just get started. So one of the questions we actually get pretty commonly, uh, we've not only gotten from uh, our, our wonderful podcast listeners, but from, uh, from folks that uh, have visited the website or the learning center at marpolling.com is, um, how long is all this gonna last? Multifamily's been on a good run for a number of years now and how much more steam is in the engine? Uh, a year, five years, 10 years, what do you think it looks like? So uh, my answer would start with, uh, I don't know. Nobody knows. Anybody that tells you they know uh, is pulling your leg at best. They, um, uh, there are a lot of factors that uh, have culminated in creating this significant growth in multifamily real estate investing. And, uh, and we don't see those abating anytime soon. Uh, here's what I mean by that. Uh, one of the big drivers is uh, the number, the sheer number of baby boomers that are retiring. Uh, the retirees are not renting in any larger percentage than they have previously, but we have about a third more retirees in this wave that we're going through than uh, typical. So we're seeing additional demand on rental units from that standpoint. Uh, their children and grandchildren, right? Which is another boom, an echo boom as we call it. Uh, together, they're about 80 million each. So you get about 160 million people out of the 320 million in the US. So roughly half of the population fits in one of those two cohorts. Uh, echo boomers have delayed um, home purchases for a variety of reasons. Uh, part of that is student debt and other uh, debt that they've taken on. Uh, some of it is um, a bit of a disillusionment with the American dream. Uh, doesn't quite mean what it used to mean to own a home. Uh, many of these folks um, were either young adults or maybe uh, teens uh, during the uh, Great Recession, and they saw the impact uh, that housing suffered during that time frame. They're maybe a little put off with the idea of putting a lot of money into owning a home. Uh, and many of the echo boomers enjoy a, um, a more urban lifestyle. And if you look at the urban uh, geographies, you'll see a much uh, smaller percentage of home ownership than you do in uh, uh, the average uh, market across the United States. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that we see that uh, continuing is uh, we're just on the front end of both of those uh, demographic curves. Uh, population growth. 
the country is continuing to grow as it always has. A meaningful amount of that growth has always and continues to come from uh, immigration. And when you get outside of the United States, home ownership is not as common as it is here. So when a new family moves to the US, it takes about a generation before home ownership in that cohort begins to look like uh, the base of the country, the current base, which means uh, all the growth that we're gonna experience over the next uh, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from uh, that population is gonna be not 60, 40 home ownership rental, but it's gonna be closer to 40, 60 uh, home ownership rental. And so there's additional uh, demand that we're seeing on the, uh, on the um, rental side. Uh, and then we've got the impact of simply home ownership rates, right? We were close to 70% at the peak, 69 and change. Uh, we're now down in the low 60s. And as I said, in urban markets, uh, many of the markets that we focus on, we're not quite at, but we're awfully close to 50-50, uh, 42, uh, pardon me, uh, 52, 48, uh, those kinds of numbers. So any growth in those markets, you're getting almost half of it on the uh, rental side. None of those factors in the near term look like they will change. So if demand's not gonna change, it would really be supply that needs to change. And we've actually just done some recent sessions that, uh, that you can find. Uh, again, go to the Learning Center at marapolling.com uh, or simply look through the, uh, the, the channel here, Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Polling, and you will find uh, a session we did uh, called No Supply. Uh, and there you'll see uh, some of the content we offer around why the supply has been so static. So nothing looks like it's going to change about those. You could make a very legitimate argument that we're looking at 15 or 20 years or more of very solid performance in multifamily. That probably scares people to think that uh, something's going to run that long. So our focus is more on that five to 10 year horizon. Uh, we think certainly over the next 10 years, this is a good space to uh, to be in. That's something that should be continually evaluated. Um, it's certainly uh, longer than just uh, just a few years. So, uh, so thank you for that uh, question. Another question we get uh, with some regularity, uh, again, from a number of different sources, is um, why, why the markets that we're in? And uh, it has to do more with our strategy than a belief that some markets are better than others. So our particular strategy at Mara Polling is a uh, modest risk exposure strategy. We're looking to take risk off the table and then optimize returns. So uh, can you make money uh, investing in multifamily real estate in Cleveland, Ohio, in uh, um, Birmingham, Alabama, in Riverside, California? Sure you can in every one of those markets. I have no doubt that you can. Is there less risk investing in a market like Houston, Texas or Waco or Tyler or Dallas or any of the other markets that we're active in in Texas? Uh, and the answer to that is we think there is less risk in those markets and it's because those markets are growing faster than the US average. Incomes are growing faster. Uh, employment is growing faster. Regulation is more reasonable. Absorption is, uh, is not an issue. And when you put all those factors together, you move risk off the table. For us, that's a really good fit. If you're looking for more of a home run strategy, you're probably not going to find that in the kinds of markets we're talking about. You may find a home run in markets that have 
extremely low cap rates because you've got a lot of leverage on your NOI growth from that standpoint. And with that comes great risk. So uh, risk and return are uh, highly correlated in this, uh, in this space. Uh, and so that's why we're in the markets we're in. Um, wherever you are, and if you're investing in properties that you're gonna be an owner operator of, you're most likely doing that in your backyard. Um, it'd be unlikely that you're gonna buy a property three states away, uh, unless you've got a relative or somebody else there that's gonna be able to essentially be your feet on the street for that asset. So you're probably buying something within an hour or two of your home. Even then, uh, I'd get out a map, I'd draw a big radius, how far you'd, you'd be interested in looking. And then in those markets that you uh, can get to within that amount of time, uh, look at some of those factors that you think are important. If you're looking for more of a home run, you're looking for one set of characteristics. If you're looking for something a little uh, less risky, then you're looking for characteristics more like uh, more like ours. And again, if you go to the Learning Center, we've got some more content there about um, uh, about the characteristics that we uh, that we look at. Uh, so thank you for that one. Um, how much of my portfolio should I have in commercial real estate? A um, couple answers for you on that one. Uh, one, uh, I can't tell you, that's, that's not a decision that I could make for anybody or even something I could make a recommendation on. We do believe that everyone should have some commercial real estate in their portfolio. And that's commercial real estate, uh, your home, uh, albeit, yes, an investment, it will grow over time, hopefully. Uh, it's not uh, traditionally thought of as investment property. It certainly isn't treated as commercial real estate from the stamp, uh, tax standpoint or others. So we're not including your home in that. Um, everyone ought to have some commercial real estate. And by commercial real estate, we mean uh, direct ownership and equity position. So this is not um, a publicly traded REIT. Uh, right, which is essentially an equity, uh, a piece of stock that you own and is affected more like the stock market, um, nor is it a mortgage, um, which is essentially more of a fixed income uh, investment. There's absolutely nothing wrong with those two, and those might make some sense to have in your portfolio as well, in addition to having a commercial real estate investment. And that commercial real estate investment could be in office, it could be in retail, it could be industrial, it could be hospitality, it could be self-storage, it could be, um, uh, you know, age-related assisted living facilities, it could be a lot of places, and it could be in multifamily. And that ties back to the answer we gave to one of the earlier questions. Um, how much? That's a personal decision for everyone. Probably has something to do with uh, your age and where you are in your life uh, cycle and where you're uh, what you're envisioning you need to do with these dollars. We do believe that while some people may have money that is more speculative, money they could invest uh, with the thought that they might lose some or even all of it, everyone has money that's the bedrock of their investment portfolio. And those are really the dollars that we think make a lot of sense uh, to put into commercial real estate. That's very much the conversation uh, that we have with our, um, with our clients. Uh, this question came in just the other day, and it's an interesting one. I, I hadn't had anybody ask it yet. And that was, is there anyone that you've ever had uh, express interest in investing with you that you have uh, said no thank you? Um, 
so uh, two pieces to that answer. Uh, one, uh, we file under um, uh, SEC uh, regulations 506C, Charlie. Uh, and that means that we are required to work with accredited investors that are verified as accredited by a third party. Uh, accredited investors, and there's a variety of ways you can be accredited. For an individual, generally speaking, we're talking about either on the income side, uh, you make a couple hundred thousand to 300,000 a year or more, uh, depending upon whether you're an individual or a couple. Um, or you've got a million dollars in um, in net worth, uh, excluding the equity you would have in your primary residence. Um, that's generally the means by which people are accredited. You can find more information about that, again, uh, from us, or if you have questions, you can shoot me an email. We'll help you with that. We use a third-party uh, law firm that does that accreditation for us, so we're not involved in that, and that gives us uh, documentation that we need to uh, satisfy any requirements we have from a regulatory standpoint. So if someone's not accredited or they, they simply choose not to go through that process, obviously that's someone we're not in a position to be able to work with. Um, but the question I had posed was, um, is there anybody that makes it through that process that you then say, no thanks? And um, um, yes uh, is the answer. Uh, and there's really two places where that has occurred. One, um, we're really an education company. Yeah, we're real estate investors, but we're in the business of helping individuals like you all learn about commercial multifamily real estate so that you can make informed decisions about what it is that you're doing. Um, we feel very strongly that we have a, a commitment to everyone that we work with to help them make a fully informed decision. Um, if someone were uh, not spending the the proper energy in terms of reviewing documents or really seem to not understand uh, the elements of the investment, um, that's probably someone we would continue to work with until they got comfortable with it before we'd want to proceed. Again, we want people to be fully informed. Um, the other is, uh, and this does happen from time to time, um, we don't want to be too much of anyone's investment portfolio. And we think that makes sense for, for everyone out there is, um, you don't want to put all your eggs in any one basket or too many eggs in one particular basket. So I'd be really uncomfortable if we were 50%, our particular investment was 50% of someone's portfolio. Um, so we'd probably have a conversation with someone about that. Um, uh, so, uh, so yes, there are some areas and it's not so much that we uh, turn folks away as much as we want to continue to educate until uh, that individual can feel really confident they're making a, uh, a good decision. So that was an interesting question. Uh, thanks for, uh, for asking that. We touched on accreditation, which actually came up um, in a number of instances. So glad we, uh, glad we hit on that one. Um, uh, this comes up from time to time. Um, we've had it come up from a couple of podcasts. And then uh, uh, as people are going through the investor process, uh, it sometimes arises, and that is, how should I hold title to my asset? Uh, and uh, every sponsor is going to have that question for uh, you as an investor uh, at some point in time. Uh, are you holding it in your own name? Uh, uh, is it you and your spouse? Um, how is that structured? Is it community property? Are you joint tenants? 
Um, you know, there's a number of ways that it can be structured. Are you investing through an LLC that you've created? By the way, LLCs have gotten a bit of a bad rep lately uh, from the media as quote unquote shell companies. They're not shell companies. They're very intelligent tools to use to uh, invest in, uh, in real estate and to do so in a way that protects you. Uh, we make uh, every bit of use of uh, the, L the capability of LLCs and encourage that to be something that you look at. Uh, we can't tell anyone how to, uh, to how to hold title. Uh, holding title has uh, uh, tax implications. It has uh, estate implications. And for that reason, we recommend that folks go back to their tax advisors and their estate attorney or their uh, their personal attorney and ask their advice if they have not had that conversation previously. That often raises another question, uh, which is, um, well, I don't have one of those. Um, we'll go get one. Everybody should have uh, an attorney that you can go to to ask questions, whether it be about uh, title or about any questions you might have about any documents you're, you're reviewing as part of either an investment or some other uh, transaction. Um, and, uh, you know, much as your doctor will tell you, uh, stay off the internet, don't self-diagnose based on what you read uh, from a Google search, uh, your attorney is going to tell you the same thing. You don't get legal advice by Googling some question. Uh, you might be able to get a lead on an attorney, uh, although I would encourage you to go to your tax professional, uh, maybe your insurance broker, uh, your banker, go to some folks like that and ask them uh, for a recommendation as a place to start and interview a couple so you can get comfortable with that if you don't have one. Uh, and if you don't have those other folks, if you don't have a tax professional, if you don't have a relationship with a banker, if you don't have a risk management person, an insurance person, um, those are also other pieces of, of the puzzle you probably want to uh, pull together. So lots of different ways to hold title. It's a personal decision that you need to be uh, comfortable with. Um, uh, tax questions. I get a lot of tax questions. Uh, we've had some just in the last two weeks uh, from podcasts, uh, people asking about um, uh, depreciation schedules, uh, cost segregation studies, um, uh, long-term gains, uh, treatments, unrelated uh, business taxable income from self-directed IRAs, there's a lot of different tax issues that can arise. And uh, we have lots of great material we can share with you about the specifics of any one of those. Those materials though are specific to how the fund and how our investments treat them as well as um, uh, generally how an individual be, would be affected by it. Each person's individual tax situation is unique to them, and that's something you should engage with your tax professional about to, uh, to better understand that. And again, uh, just as having a, an attorney to turn to and some of those other professionals we talked about, um, if you don't have a tax professional, uh, you ought to go get one. If you have been doing your own taxes for years, as I used to do for quite some time, um, good for you. That's a great way to be very connected to your uh, personal uh, financial situation, and uh, and I have no doubt that you've done a very good job. And a tax professional can help you with some of the more uh, complex 
uh, elements that you might uh, be exposed to as, as your investments grow in complexity. And they can help you take full advantage of the tax code. Um, why leave any dollars on the table? Um, and again, you know, we're not talking about loopholes. Uh, we actually did a session on that a couple of weeks ago. Um, loopholes in our definition are tax advantages in the code that somebody else takes advantage of. That's, that's what you call a loophole. Um, we don't believe in loopholes. All the items that we're talking about are clearly stated in the tax code. There's no reason not to take advantage of them. Uh, you know, if in the future Congress wants to change those, they're welcome to do it. Uh, highly unlikely they would given their integration into the economy, um, but they're not loopholes. And in order to take full advantage of that, um, you need a tax gal or a guy to, uh, to help you do that. Um, one more question we'll hit, and, uh, and this was a really good one. Uh, I don't get it too often, um, but, uh, but when I've had it, it's really a great sincere question. And I, I wanted to finish up on, uh, on that one today. And it is, so if I make an investment with Mara Polling, and this would be true for any firm that you chose to work with uh, that works like Mara Polling, what could go wrong? How could I lose some or all of my investment? I think that question comes from a couple different places. Um, one is uh, we've done a session here called Read the Docs, where we've encouraged folks to go read the private placement memorandum, the operating agreement, and the subscription agreement. Uh, and then many of you have actually taken us up on that and contacted us. And uh, we've provided you a copy of those documents and you've, you've gone through and read them. And the question generally comes about because when you read a PPM, a private placement memorandum, whether it's ours or someone else's, uh, you're gonna find an awful lot of content that says, don't do this. And here's why. Here's a whole bunch of risks that you need to understand that you're potentially being exposed to by making this kind of investment. And if you read a prospectus for a publicly traded stock, you'd see very similar kinds of content. I'll go out on a limb and say the majority of you have probably made investments in publicly traded stocks where you've not only not read, but probably don't even have a copy of the prospectus. Um, I fall into that category as well. Guilty as charged. Um, I strongly encourage everyone when you're making an investment, again, whether it's with us or another sponsor, or even just contemplating making investments in this space, read PPMs. Uh, if, you, if you haven't done that before, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. I'll be happy to send you a copy of our PPM and you can read it and that'll help you get a sense of how this works. It's got nothing to do with whether you're gonna invest with us or not. This is simply good educational material for you. So I'd encourage you to take uh, look at it from that standpoint. And as you go through, the PPM lists all sorts of things. Now, most of what it lists, and this is potentially an unfair characterization, but from my standpoint, most of what it lists are some pretty outrageous things uh, that could happen, you know, sort of acts of God and, uh, you know, civil unrest and all sorts of other things. It's like, wow, if that happens, uh, my investment may be the least of my, uh, my worries. Uh, it certainly identifies issues that are much more likely to happen, like changes in the real estate market, change but in the investment market, uh, a delay in the ability to exit uh, asset positions, um, you know, um, uh, issues that might arise with the manager of the asset, all sorts of different uh, different factors. Now, many of those can be um, mitigated or addressed by uh, 
underwriting. Uh, so a conservative underwriting, conservative acquisition uh, standards that are adhered to strongly, that's a method we absolutely follow. Uh, another component of that is appropriate uh, risk management in terms of uh, insurance and the uh, and the like. And again, that's another tactic that uh, that we use that we believe minimizes that a great deal. Uh, our organization is appropriately structured with the right kind of uh, succession planning and the other tools in place that allow uh, any one of us, you know, unfortunately, uh, knock on wood, we're all humans, and uh, hopefully none of us get hit by a bus tomorrow. Uh, but that could happen to any one of us, and that's a critical element to look at in an organization. What if someone or some uh, individual within the organization was impacted? Uh, how does that affect how your investment's going to operate? Uh, the answer I gave someone uh, to this question, uh, the most recent uh, person that asked me, was um, probably the biggest risk and the most realistic risk would be some significant shift in the uh, overall economy of the United States. Um, if you look back at the Great Recession, uh, that was very challenging. And uh, all the tools I just described uh, would mitigate that kind of uh, that kind of risk. That doesn't mean you're going to be cash flowing at seven, eight, ten, twelve percent during that kind of downturn. Um, but you're not going to be cash flow negative. You're not going to be in a position where it's uh, overly challenging to um, to be successful. So, uh, but we could have worse than that, right? Um, you know, uh, the depression, uh, you know, we're coming up on almost 100 years, 90 years since the, uh, since the Great Depression. Uh, you know, we're talking about uh, economic impact that's, uh, you know, an order of magnitude larger than the Great Recession. Those would really be significant. And that's where we think having investments in hard assets like, multifamily real estate where it's you know it's tangible it's a thing you can go touch it's not a piece of paper uh, you know it's it's not something that's structured in that particular standpoint uh, we believe that gives us uh, and investors a great uh, sense of uh, security to be able to weather all that um, could you lose money could you lose all of your money sure you could right and that's the reason those ppms all say that it's important though to really look at and understand what the actual risk is that you're exposed to and be able to assess that on your own. The advice I would give you and everyone that uh, that takes a look at any PPM is when you look at those risk factors and assess them on your own, if you're not confident that those risk factors have been addressed to your satisfaction, don't make the investment. Uh, it, your uh, sense of mind, peace of mind, uh, your ability to sleep well at night, uh, it's just not worth it uh, making an investment that isn't a good fit for you. So, um, um, so that's the answer we would uh, we would offer up there. Uh, really enjoy getting to do these uh, these Q and A sessions. Uh, I hope today's not only been valuable, but maybe triggered some additional questions that you all might have. Uh, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. Drop by the website, uh, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Visit the Learning Center. Uh, there's some good material you can download there. There's uh, recent webinars that are recorded that you can listen to. There's upcoming webinars you can register for. And there's links back to uh, podcasts, which obviously you have already found because you're listening to us today. And uh, listen back to uh, some of our prior episodes, subscribe so you can be a part of future episodes as we go forward. 
and uh, keep the questions coming. Uh, like I said, uh, uh, love being a part of your educational process and uh, that's uh, something uh, everyone at Marpoling is very committed to. Thanks for joining me today and I look forward to seeing you next week on the next episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.